0: Section 1 of The Red Laugh by Leonid Andreev The Slibervox recording is in the public domain. Read by Ben Tucker Part 1. Fragments 1-3 through Fragment 1 Horror and Madness I felt it for the first time as we were marching along the road. Marching incessantly for ten hours without stopping, never diminishing our step never waiting to pick up those that had fallen, but leaving them to the enemy that was moving behind us in a compact mass only three or four hours later, effacing the marks of our feet by their own. It was very sultry. I do not know how many degrees there were. 120, 140 degrees or more. I only know that the heat was incessant, hopelessly even, and profound. The sun was so enormous, so fiery and terrible, that it seemed as if the earth had drawn nearer to it and would soon be burnt up altogether in its merciless rays. Our eyes had ceased to look. The small, shrunk pupil, as small as a poppy seed, sought in vain for darkness under the closed eyelid. The sun pierced the thin covering and penetrated into the tortured brain in a blood-red glow. But nevertheless, it was better so, with closed eyelids, And for a long time, perhaps for several hours, I walked along with my eyes shut, hearing the multitude moving around me, the heavy, uneven tread of many feet, men's and horses, the grinding of iron wheels crushing the small stones, somebody's deep, strained breathing and the dry, smacking of parched lips. But I heard no word, all were silent, as if an army of dumb people was moving. And when anyone fell down, he fell in silence. Others stumbled against his body, fell down and rose mutely, and without turning their heads, marched on, as though these dumb men were also blind and deaf. I stumbled and fell several times, and then involuntarily opened my eyes. And all that I saw seemed a wild fiction, the terrible raving of a mad world. The air vibrated at a white-hot temperature, The stones seemed to be trembling silently, ready to flow, and in the distance at a curve of the road. The files of men, guns, and horses seemed detached from the earth, and trembled like a mass of jelly in their onward progress, and it seemed to me that they were not living people that I saw before me, but an army of incorporate shadows. The enormous, near-terrible sun lit up thousands of tiny, blinding suns on every gun-barrel and metal plate, and these suns, as fiery white and sharp as the white-hot points of the bayonets, crept into your eyes from every side, and the consuming, burning heat penetrated into your body, into your very bones and brain, and at times it seemed to me that it was not a head that swayed upon my shoulders, but a strange and extraordinary globe heavy and light, belonging to somebody else, and horrible. And then? Then I suddenly remembered my home. A corner of my room, a scrap of light blue wallpaper, and a dusty, untouched water bottle on my table. On my table, which has one leg shorter than the others, and had a small piece of paper folded under it. While in the next room, and I cannot see them, my wife and little son. If I had had the power to cry out, I would have done so. So wonderful was this simple and peaceful picture, hastening whither I knew not, but feeling now neither heat nor fatigue, and I marched on thus for a long time through the endless mute files, past red sunburnt necks, almost touching the helplessly lowered hot bayonets, when suddenly the thought of what I was doing whither I was hastening, stopped me. I turned aside in the same hasty way, forced my way to the open, clambered across a gully and sat down on a stone in a preoccupied manner, as if that rough, hot stone was the aim of all my strivings. And then I felt it for the first time. I clearly perceived that all these people, marching silently on in the glaring sun, torpid from fatigue and heat, swaying and falling, that they were all mad they did not know whither they were going they did not know what the sun was for they did not know anything it was not heads that they had on their shoulders but strange and terrible globes there i saw a man in the same plight as i pushing his way hurriedly through the rows and falling down there another and a third Suddenly, a horse's head appeared above the throng with bloodshot and senseless eyes, and a wide-open, grinning mouth that only hinted at a terrible, unearthly cry. This head appeared, fell down, and for an instant the crowd stopped, growing denser in that spot. I could hear hoarse, hollow voices, then a shot, and again the silent, endless marching continued. An hour passed as I sat on that stone, But the multitude still moved on past me, and the air and earth and the distant phantom-like ranks trembled as before. And again the burning heat pierced my body, and I forgot what for an instant I had pictured to myself. And the multitudes moved on past me, but I did not know who they were. An hour ago I was alone on stone, but now I was surrounded by a group of gray people, some lying motionless, perhaps dead. Others were sitting up and staring vacantly at those passing by. Some had guns and resembled soldiers. Others were stripped, almost naked, and the skin on their bodies was so livid that one did not care to look at it. Not far from me, someone was lying with his bared back upturned. One could see by the unconcerned manner in which he had buried his face in the sharp burning sand, by the whiteness of the palm of his upturned hand, that he was dead. But his back was as red as if he were alive, and only a slight yellowish tinge, like one sees on smoked meat, spoke of death. I wanted to move away from him, but I had not the strength and tottering from weakness. I continued, looking at the endless phantom-like swaying files of men. By the condition of my head, I knew that I should soon have a sunstroke too, But I waited it calmly, as in a dream, where death seems only a stage on the path of wonderful and confused visions. And I saw a soldier apart from the crowd and direct his steps in a decided manner towards us. For an instant, I lost sight of him in a ditch. But when he reappeared and moved on towards us, his gait was unsteady, and in his endeavors to control his restlessly tossing body, one felt he was using his last strength He was coming so straight upon me that I grew frightened, and, breaking through the heavy torpor that enveloped my brain, I asked, "'What do you want?' He stopped short, as if it was only a word that he was waiting for, and stood before me, enormous, bearded, in a torn shirt. He had no gun, his trousers hung only by one button, and through a slit in them one could see his white body. He flung his arms and legs about, and he was visibly trying to control them, but could not. The instant he brought his arms together, they fell apart again. What is the matter? You had better sit down, I said. But he continued standing, vainly trying to gather himself together and stared at me in silence. Involuntarily, I got up from the stone and, tottering, looked into his eyes and saw an abyss of horror and insanity in them. Everybody's pupils were shrunk. But his had dilated and covered his whole eye. What a sea of fire he must have seen through those enormous black windows. Maybe I had only imagined it. Maybe in his look there was only death. But no, I was not mistaken. In those black, bottomless pupils, surrounded by a narrow orange-colored rim like a bird's eye, there was more than death. More than the horror of death. Go away, I cried, falling back. Go away! And as if he was only waiting for a word, enormous, disorderly and mute as before, he suddenly fell down upon me, knocking me over. With a shudder, I freed my legs from under him, jumped up, and longed to run. Somewhere away from men, into the sunlit, unpeopled, and quivering distance, when suddenly, on the left-hand side, a cannon boomed forth from a hilltop, and directly after it, two others like an echo. And somewhere above our heads, a shell flew past with a gladsome, many-voiced screech and howl. We were outflanked. The murderous heat, fear, and fatigue disappeared instantly. My thoughts cleared. My mind grew clear and sharp, and when I ran up out of breath to the files of men drawing up, I saw serene, almost joyous faces, heard hoarse but loud voices, orders, Jokes! The sun seemed to have drawn itself up higher, so as not to be in the way, and had grown dim and still. And again a shell, like a witch, cut the air with a gladsome screech. I came up. Fragment two. Nearly all of the horses and men. The same in the eighth battery. In our twelfth battery, towards the end of the third day, there remained only three guns, all the others being disabled. Six men and one officer, myself. We had neither slept nor eaten for twenty hours. For three days and nights, a satanic roar and howl enveloped us in a cloud of insanity, isolated us from the earth, the sky, and ourselves. And we, the living, wandered about like lunatics. The dead, they lay still while we moved about doing our duty, talking and laughing. And we were like lunatics. All our movements were quick and certain, our orders clear, the execution of them precise. But if you had suddenly asked any one of us who we were, undoubtedly we should not have been able to find an answer in our troubled brain. As in a dream, all faces seemed familiar, and all that was going on seemed quite familiar and natural, as if it had happened before. But when I looked closely at any face or gun, or began listening to the din, I was struck by the novelty an endless mystery of everything. Night approached imperceptibly, and before we had time to notice it and wonder where it had come from, the sun was again burning above our heads. And only from those who came to our battery we learnt that it was the third day of the battle that was dawning, and instantly forgot it again. To us it appeared as one endless day without any beginning, sometimes dark, sometimes bright, but always incomprehensible and blind and nobody was afraid of death, for nobody understood what death was. On the third or fourth night, I do not remember which, I lay down for a minute behind the breastwork, and as soon as I shut my eyes, the same familiar and extraordinary picture stood before them. The scrap of light blue wallpaper, and the dusty, untouched water bottle on my table, while in the next room, and I could not see them, were my wife and little son, but this time a lamp with a green shade was burning on the table, so it must have been evening or night. The picture stood motionless, and I contemplated it very calmly and attentively for a long time, letting my eyes rest on the light reflected in the crystal of the water bottle and on the wallpaper, and wondered why my son was not asleep, for it was night and time for him to go to bed. Then I again began examining the wallpaper, every spiral, silvery flower, square and line, and never imagined that I knew my room so well. Now and then I opened my eyes and saw the black sky with beautiful fiery stripes upon it, then shut them again and saw once more the wallpaper, the bright water bottle, and wondered why my son was not asleep, for it was night and time for him to go to bed. Once a shell burst not far from me, making my legs give a jerk, and somebody cried out loudly, louder than the bursting of the shell, and I said to myself, "'Somebody's killed.' But I did not get up, and did not tear my eyes away from the light blue wallpaper and the water bottle. Afterwards I got up, moved about, gave orders, looked at the men's faces, trained the guns, and kept on wondering why my son was not asleep. Once I asked the sergeant, and he explained it to me at length with great detail, And we kept nodding our heads, and he laughed, and his left eyebrow kept twitching while his eye winked cunningly at somebody behind us. Behind us were somebody's feet, and nothing more. By this time it was quite light, when suddenly there fell a drop of rain. Rain. Just the same as at home, the most ordinary little drops of rain. But it was so sudden and out of place, and we were so afraid of getting wet, that we left our guns stopped firing, and tried to find shelter anywhere we could. The sergeant, with whom I had only just been speaking, got under the gun carriage and dozed off, although he might have been crushed any minute. The stout artilleryman, for some reason or other, began undressing a corpse, while I began running about the battery in search of something. A cloak, or an umbrella. And the same instant, over the whole enormous area where the rain cloud had burst, a wonderful stillness fell. A belated shrapnel shot shrieked and burst, and everything grew still. So still that one could hear the stout artilleryman panting, and the drops of rain splashing upon the stones and guns. And this soft and continuous sound that reminded one of autumn, the smell of the moist earth and the stillness, seemed to tear the bloody, savage nightmare asunder for an instant. And when I glanced at the wet, glistening gun, it unexpectedly reminded me of something dear and peaceful. My childhood, or perhaps my first love. But in the distance, a gun boomed forth particularly loud, and the spell of the momentary lull disappeared. The men began coming out of their hiding places as suddenly as they had hid themselves. A gun roared, then another, and once again the wary brain was enveloped by bloody, indissoluble gloom. And nobody noticed when the rain stopped. I only remember seeing the water rolling off the fat, sunken yellow face of the killed artillerymen, so I supposed it rained for rather a long time. Before me stood a young volunteer holding his hand to his cap and reporting to me that the general wanted us to retain our position for only two hours more, when we should be relieved. I was wondering why my son was not in bed and answered that I could hold on as much as he wished Suddenly I became interested in the young man's face, probably because of its unusual and striking pallor. I never saw anything whiter than that face. Even the dead have more color than that young, beardless face had. I suppose he became terrified on his way to us and could not recover himself. And in holding his hand to his cap, he was only making an effort to drive away his mad fear by a simple and habitual gesture. Are you afraid? I asked, touching his elbow. But his elbow seemed as if made of wood, and he only smiled and remained silent. Better to say his lips alone were twitching into a smile, while his eyes were full of youth and terror only, nothing more. Are you afraid? I repeated kindly. His lips twitched, trying to frame a word, and the same instant there happened something incomprehensible, monstrous, and supernatural. I felt a drought of warm air upon my right cheek that made me sway. That is all. While before my eyes, in place of the white face, there was something short, blunt, and red, and out of it the blood was gushing as out of an uncorked bottle, such as is drawn on badly executed signboards. And that short, red, and flowing something still seemed to be smiling a sort of smile. A toothless laugh. A red laugh. I recognized it, that red laugh. I had been searching for it, and I had found it, that red laugh. Now I understood what there was in all those mutilated, torn, strange bodies. It was a red laugh. It was in the sky. It was in the sun. And soon it was going to overspread the whole earth that red, laugh, while they, with precision and calmness, like lunatics. Fragment 3. They say there are a great number of madmen in our army as well as in the enemies. Four lunatic wards have been opened. When I was on the staff, our adjutant showed me. End of section 1.